0: All right, please stand if you are able for a reading from God's Holy Word. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 1, 56 through 66. Please read with me the verses in bold. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him zechariah after his father but his mother answered no he shall be called john and they said to her none of your relatives is called by this name and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is john and they all wondered
1: my name is daniel one of the pastors here i come uh, thank you for letting me have the time off last week in bed uh, but i am here and um and i will ask for forgiveness if i go into a, a coughing I, I don't know if i if i go into a coughing a rage here uh, please forgive me for that <clears throat> if you have been with us uh two weeks ago or if you have been with us over the past two weeks Uh, I likened our sermon series uh, in Advent to a prequel. I think Brad did the same thing last week. Before Advent, we had been in the thick of a study through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, over the course of three, three and a half months, skipping over uh, chapters one and two, and just now coming back to these chapters in the first parts of the book. Well, almost like a prequel, you know, we're coming back to it, looking at the original story, a good prequel gives us context for the story we know. And so the first two chapters are hardly a prequel, as you again are aware, because it's been always there, you know, chapters one and two have have always been there, Uh, we just happen to skip over them. Uh, But the first two chapters are um, exciting nonetheless. As we come back to the original story, now speaking about prequ- speaking of prequels, uh, one of my favorite prequ- prequels is not uh, I'm, I apologize. I'm thinking I'll, I'm all over the, the head here. One of my favorite prequels, uh, if not the favorite, is from the, uh, the Star Wars franchise. and I know I. I can't remember how many times I've mentioned Star Wars, but if you're familiar with the movie, uh, you know that there's episodes uh, four, five, six, followed by one, two, three, and that goes back to seven, eight, nine. Yes, confusing. There's a trilogy of trilogies, right? Four, five, and six are the originals. 1, 2, and 3 came out uh, almost 20 years later, after the last film, but as a prequel. And to confuse you even further, there are two other standalone movies, I think there may be more, between each of the films of the last trilogy, 7, 8, and 9. And my favorite is one of the two standalones called Rogue One. And it's also a prequel. Sorry. In Rogue One, there are no big names, no big heroes in this movie, no main character in this movie uh, that becomes a part of the greater movie or the greater story. It's about a group of everyday people, ordinary and unlikely heroes who cement their status as heroes by doing small things. Small gestures, clicking communication gears into place, moving a lever, staying at a control panel just long enough. Now, these seemingly insignificant actions are what help to pass on valuable information for the cause of the rebel soldiers in the next movie. So it just, I, I know it's confusing... Uh, but it'll help the cause of the overthrow of the evil government, right? Now, if if you've understood nothing of what I said, it's okay. (laughs) It's a good movie. It's a great movie because it perpetuates the movie. It keeps it going. It's a great movie because the stars are unknown little characters, ordinary people who are called to do extraordinary things. Now, you get a similar sense when you open up the pages of the Gospel of Luke and begin to read the first chapter of that book, and you're introduced to little figures, ordinary folks, unknown if you had not known about them before. They become unfamiliar names, names like Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I say little because if you read through the 24 chapters of the book of Luke, Zechariah and Elizabeth don't appear again, only in chapter 1. Or if you think about John the Baptist, for example, John the Baptist is born in chapter 1, he reappears in chapter 3, he preaches in the wilderness, and then again, he's mentioned in chapter 7, again, He sends messengers to ask Jesus of his identity, who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the one that has been prophesied? And then he doesn't appear again. Little figures. There's Mary. Why would God choose her? John, who is born to this old couple. These little known figures in the book of Luke, especially in chapter 1, that gives us the origin story, the original cast of characters that produce the the main character of the book of Luke. Luke, the author of this gospel, turns the spotlight back on John the Baptist. It's interesting. Now, if we haven't already spent enough time there already, Luke comes back to John the Baptist and Zechariah and Elizabeth. He spends the first 25 verses or so talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth and a child that will be born to them in their old age, and then comes back to them in verse 56 and 57, to the end of chapter 1. Luke spends more verses describing the circumstances surrounding the uh, the conception and the birth of John the Baptist than about the birth of Jesus. Again, these are little-known characters who play Significant roles. Why dedicate so much space in the opening chapter of the book? I can think of a few reasons. If we can, let's make some observations from the text. The structure of the chapter is quite interesting. Luke spends much of the opening verses and significant portions of the end of the chapter introducing Zechariah and Elizabeth, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist by the angel Gabriel, and then his eventual birth in the section we're looking at this morning. Luke includes these two large sections to make a point, I think. God promises and then he fulfills. I see no less than five times. Again, if you don't mind, I'd like to take us through an academic sort of study through this section here, but no less than five times in our text this morning. Now, I won't go into too much detail as we spent a lot of time on this two weeks ago but I'd like to talk about uh, promise and fulfillment. Again, looking at the first uh, 25 verses and looking at verses 56 and on and how these two passages, these two large sections of chapter one are fulfillment, I'm sorry, prophecy and fulfillment. What God says and how God fulfills them. Number one, an old couple have a child. Verse 7 and verse 13, the text tells us they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Verse 13, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And then looking at our section this morning in verse 57, it says, now the time came. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth and the text tells us. She bore a son. I mentioned last, uh, two weeks ago, young couples have babies, old couples do not. As we look at the biology, an old couple having children is just as impossible as a virgin bearing a child. The point, nothing is impossible with God. Just as the angel Gabriel had promised, this old man and this old woman had a son and love, and I love Luke's timestamp on this story. He said, now it was time. Now, if you've ever had kids, those are unique words. Those are interesting words. It's time. And again, in this section, true in more ways than one. Promise and fulfillment. Number two, the child receives a strange name. In verse 13, you shall call his name John. And then in verse 59, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. When all the friends and relatives of Zechariah and Elizabeth gathered for the rite of circumcision on that eighth day, again, no name had been given to the child They uh, simply assume that the mother and father would name their son, Zechariah, after his father. Elizabeth says, no, his name is not going to be Zechariah, but John. And the immediate response is, Elizabeth, there's no one in your family by the name of John. You can go back 10, 15, 20 generations, and there's no one by the name of John in your family. There are no cousins named John. There's no husband named John. There's no grandfather named John. And they, again, there's no Johns in your family. And so uh, they, not believing her, turned to Zechariah. And I love this part. He asked for a writing tablet. It's not an iPad, but he's writing on this uh, tablet and wrote, His name is John. All those months of silence reliving that encounter with an angel, not a shadow of doubt in his mind what he's about to do. And his answer is emphatic. His name is John. Now, there's something interesting about his name, and I'll get to that in here in a second. But another uh, promise and fulfillment, number three, there's remarkable joy and gladness. Look at verse 14. It says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Verse 58, our section this morning. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. The birth of a baby, of any baby, is good news. The birth of any baby is a reason for celebration and joy. But the angel Gabriel isn't talking about that kind of joy, it's a far greater joy. Let me explain. For those who cannot have children, suddenly when they find out, they're pregnant. Or those who have nothing finally come into something. Or a person who's looking for work suddenly feels the weight lifted off of their shoulders when they get the call. Or those who are troubled in soul hear good news are reasons for Joy and gladness. For an old barren woman, the birth of a son was wonderful news. You see, it's always the backdrop, it's the circumstances, it's the situation that surrounds Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were in in an impossible situation, they were in a situation that they could do nothing about. It was impossible. And in the impossibility, we know that Zechariah makes this statement to the angel Gabriel. How can this be? For we're advanced in years and my wife is barren. It's in the midst of difficult news that good news becomes great news. It's in the midst of darkness that light shines even brighter. You see, it's the, it's the backdrop of, of sin and death and wrath and punishment and judgment. That grace sounds like amazing news. You see, it's everyone, if, if everyone is entitled to it, you see, if everyone is deserving of good news, then it's not necessarily good news. And the reason why there's such joy in And gladness, such remarkable joy and gladness for these two and those surrounding her because they knew at how impossible a situation, how ridiculous a situation this was that they were in. And in this impossibility, there was reason for celebration and great joy. Number four. Like I said, I'm going through these quickly. In verse 20. Luke writes these words and he said, behold, you will be silent. Again, these are the words of uh, the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. He says, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. And he says here, which will be fulfilled in their time. 5, 25, uh, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 25, and then chapter 1, verse 56 through 66, all the way to the end, uh, verse 80. There are 80 verses in the first chapter. But these, Luke says, is that we will see the fulfillment of these things. They will be fulfilled in their time. In the verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And then in verse 64, here we see its fulfillment. And immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. Something like nine months and eight days later, unable to speak, unable to hear, the last words out of his mouth were how shall this be? And suddenly the words Luke uses are immediately or suddenly his mouth was open. And the first words out of his mouth are blessing and praising God. God, I bless you for blessing me. Zechariah had discovered something in those nine months of silence, something wonderful about this great news. Number five, In verse 66, I'm going, go back, I'm going to go backwards here. In verse 66, it says, what shall this child be? Is the question the, the friends and relatives who surrounded, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are saying to them, how can this be, right? What shall this child be? Again, in verse 66, all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? And it says, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And then in verse 15, previous In the foretelling, we see the angel Gabriel saying to Zechariah, For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. When Zechariah breaks his silence eight days later, with this prophecy, he's not just breaking nine months of silence, he's actually breaking something like 400 years. Of silence. The last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. The last time God spoke to his people, the last time God communicated through a prophet to let the people of Israel know, and 400 years later, here is a sign of uh, a mute and deaf Zechariah. Nine months of Unable to speak and unable to hear, and all of a sudden, his mouth is open, his tongue is loosed, and, and, and Zechariah, he, he blurts out the first words of his mouth, blessed be the Lord God. And it's this fantastic movement that we see in the scriptures of, of God speaking to his people again, that God will not remain silent, that God has not left them and nor forsaken them, but that God... In, in a silence. was well, telling his people to wait because, again, when, when God promises something in his word, he always fulfills it. And what a wonderful picture. When we look at Zechariah, he's, he's mute and he's deaf and he's, and he's signaling with his hands. And all the while, he's, he's pondering this conversation with the angel Gabriel. And, and again... He writes on a tablet, his name is John. He finally understood that which the angel Gabriel had spoken to him about before the birth of John the Baptist was finally becoming to, to fruition and fulfillment in his own heart. No, his name will not be Zechariah, his name will be John. He listens to the words of God, he listens to the, the words of the angel Gabriel. And again, here's this, this breaking of a silence. 400 years later, a breaking of a silence. Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets about 400 years before the coming of Jesus. And Malachi and the prophets before him (coughs) had spoken of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And John would be the last prophet before the coming of God himself. Look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Again, in chapter four of Malachi, behold, I will send you, my friends, we just read this in Luke chapter one. I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, a day of salvation. God was fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament, and again, he gives us the benedictus, right, which is the the song of Zechariah. He sings this song, which has numerous references to the Old Testament, that the salvation of God was coming to Israel. It was going to be a day of salvation, a day of refining, a day of healing and restoration, and there will be wonders on display in all of creation. And and, And that day of the Lord meant the coming of the Lord himself as the climax, as the pinnacle of God's plan of salvation from of old. The last verse that we read in the book of Malachi, the last verses in our Old Testament say, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And listen to this. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, just like we read in verses 15 through 17. Talk about fulfillment of prophecy. Old Testament, New Testament. The last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament in Malachi, 400 years previous. And the gospel writers, which is the first part of the life and ministry of Jesus, we, we see the fulfillment here of the great and awesome day that the Lord comes. And all prophesied for us and written in the same language that we read about in Luke chapter 1. I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Read verse 15 through 17. It says, For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A couple of weeks ago, switching gears here a little bit on Sunday night football. The Philadelphia Eagles played the Green Bay Packers, two historically good teams with two good quarterbacks. Uh, You know Aaron Rodgers, you may know him, and Jalen Hurts, the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, I'm sensing I'm losing a lot of people here as we talk about football. I better be quick and make a point. At some point in the the third quarter, (coughs) excuse me. Rodgers gets hurt and exits the game with backup quarterback, (coughs) uh, Jordan Love, who comes in as his replacement and to finish out the game. Um, After the final whistle, the two players meet on the field for a handshake, and a camera captures the two in the right place and at the right time. I thought this was so funny. I mean, if you know, if you don't know football, it's uh, <laughs> the back of their jerseys. They were just standing at the right place at the right time. Uh, Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts. And I tell this funny story because uh, I think names tell a story. As we listen to the names in this story, we begin to make sense that God is. Uh, we begin to sense that God is up to something big. Luke is telling a story. The story of salvation. Their names tell a story. And as we listen to the names in this story, begin to sense that God is up to something big. Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is faithful. John means God is merciful or God is gracious. The faithful God who shows mercy to sinners has remembered his promises to save us. Talk about names that tell a story, and again, love hurts, right? But Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, and these these stories that tell us about the character of God, that 400 years of silence doesn't mean that he's left, that he's deserted his people, that he's forgotten about them but he's always remained faithful, that God remembers. In the book of Exodus, as the people of of Israel are slaving away at the hands of, of cruel taskmasters in Egypt, I love the section where it says, God heard their cries for help. God remembers God is faithful, God is merciful, and God promises to save. The book of Luke is more than just, a, it's, it's more, it's not like a memoir. It's not an autobiography. It's not a, here's this person who, this famous person who lived 2,000 years ago, and this is what he did, or this is what his life looked like, or how he lived his life. When you read through the gospel of Luke, you get the sense that the stories are not just random. Or disjointed stories about the life and ministry of Jesus. It's a story, an unfolding story. A story that tells you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more about the character of God. It's a story of redemption, it's a story of salvation. Because by the time we get to the next chapter, in chapter 2, we'll look at Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua of the Old Testament, the one who comes to save. That Jesus is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of all the ancient prophets, of all of the patriarchs of old, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Of Moses, of David, of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Daniel, of Zechariah, of Malachi, and of John the Baptist. Jesus saves. God has visited and provided redemption for his people. God has visited his people means that he has seen the plight of his people and is coming down in sovereign grace to redeem them. For he is the God who sees... He is the God who hears, and He is the God who acts. Salvation then, my friends, is the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of God's promises in the past, that God has visited His people and provided redemption for them in His Son, the Messiah. He has made provision for the salvation of His people. For you see, in those days, a decree Went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered in those days. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord.